Welcome to Element Church, whether you're here in service, out in the lobby, or joining us somewhere online. I'm just so excited that you guys are with us today, and I just want to tell you how honored I am to get to bring the Word of God to you today. I don't normally get to stand up here and bring a message. They normally keep me locked away with the youths over in the other side of the building, but Pastor Jeff is on a sabbatical all summer long where he gets to spend the time renewing his spirit, refreshing, getting rejuvenated with his family in order to continue leading this church in ministry where it is going to be going. And so this whole summer, you guys get to hear uh, from young people like me, from older people like uh, the other people that are speaking because they're all older than me, um, uh, much wiser than me also, those of you who are listening. Um, so you guys get to hear from a lot more different people, which is super exciting. I hope you guys are okay with that. I hope that you are willing to listen to what some young 20-year-old might think to say about the Word of God. And this whole summer, we are doing a sermon series called Minor Prophets, Major Message, talking about the books of the minor prophets in the Bible, who are only called minor because of the length of their books, not because what they had to say was any less important. And before we get started today, before we get into the minor prophet that I get to speak to you guys on, I just want to tell you guys about one of the fears that I have in my life. And see, I'm okay with sharing this because it's not like snakes or like stuff that you guys could potentially use against me at some point. I think a lot of people make the mistake of telling uh, like large groups fears that are easily accessible and then you guys can like get them very easily and put them in my office and stuff. Um, but no, you can't with this one because it's not easily accessible. But my, my fear is that of open water, okay? I hate, hate open water. And I'm a swimmer, like I've been swimming my whole life. I'm a really good swimmer. I was a lifeguard when I was in high school. So like, I'm not even worried about drowning or anything like that. So maybe it's not necessarily open water. It's, it's more of the fear of the unknown, which manifests itself pretty heavily when you're on open water. Like if I can't see what's underneath me, mm -mm, I want nothing to do with that. And that doesn't have to just be like oceans or lakes. Like like if that pond is a little too deep, mm -mm, I don't want to be in that. If I can't see what my feet are touching and I don't know if that's like a piece of like stick that's sticking out, if that's like razor sharp teeth that's about to get me, my mind just goes crazy. And now I know that not everything that like lives in the ocean or like I can't see should be feared. Like I'm not trying to instill like this weird mysterious fear in you guys, but lots of things down there can get me. And that's what I'm more fearful of. And like, especially, so it's not all bad. Sometimes there's lots of good things in the ocean. Like you all know why the ocean is salt water, right? It's, it's because of the tears of the sharks that are just misunderstood. They really just wanted a hug, but everyone, no, yeah, a little bit. Okay. Let's see what we're working with here. I'm a dad if none of you got, so like be prepared for the dad jokes. Um, they're really good. The youth kids hate them. They're like, you're not funny, Brendan. Okay. <laughs> the reason I share with you guys my fear of open water, you probably guess where we're heading, why I talked to you about it. Who we're talking about today is the book of Jonah. 
and I thought it was just so fitting given my hatred for open water because if there was anyone in the Bible that hated open water as much as me, it was going to be the prophet Jonah after what he has to go through in his life. And most of us know the story of Jonah, but if you don't, let me just give you a quick background uh, summarization of it. It's about a man named Jonah who runs away from God, runs away from God's calling, and then winds up being swallowed by a fish. He spends a few days, a couple of nights in the fish, gets a reality check, and then obeys God, right? Like, boom. There's your guys' message. Thank you so much for being here. I'll see you guys next week. Record time. Everyone's happy. Woo! No. Okay, just kidding. Um... I was reading the book of Jonah. It's only four chapters long, um, very short book. And I get to speak on it, right? We're going through all the minor prophets. Why are these prophets important? Why are they included in the Bible? So I'm looking at Jonah and I'm studying, I'm preparing for this message and I'm rereading it over and over. It's probably the fourth time that I've read the book of Jonah that I began to realize something in my life. I can't stand Jonah And that's not good because I have to do a whole sermon based on this guy who I don't like. And I'm like, I'm praying with God. I'm like, God, what are you doing to me? I'm supposed to like this guy. Like there's a message in here somewhere. We're supposed to talk about his disobedience. We're supposed to talk about how he came out of it a better man, how everyone has forgiveness, right? And I'm looking through it. I'm like, how am I going to preach on a guy I don't like? I don't want to talk about him. I don't want to tell people to be like him. Like he's not that great of a guy. And I came to the realization of this, that the book of Jonah, the book that I get to talk to you guys about today is not actually about Jonah. You might think it is, it's not. The book is about God's love. And that is actually our big idea for today. The book of Jonah isn't about Jonah. It's about God's love. And if that's true, I think we need to ask this big question. What do we learn about God's love from Jonah? What do we learn about God's love from Jonah. Main scripture is Jonah chapter one, verses one through 17, and then Jonah chapter four, verses one through 11. So if you have your Bible, I highly encourage you to go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah. You can uh, read along with us there. If you don't have your Bible with you today, as always, you can follow along on the screens. We're gonna have all the scripture up there. But if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one today. Our free gift to you. So please stop by guest services out in the lobby. Just ask for a Bible. They'll give you one absolutely free. We'd love for you to take it home with you. And I'm not going to give you a lot of background because we're literally going to pick up this book right where it begins in verse one. And it says this, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. The book of Jonah isn't about Jonah. It's about God's love. So what do we learn about God's love from Jonah, number one is this. God's love is pursuing. God's love is pursuing. You see, Jonah is not a smart guy. Again, this is why I don't like him. But as a prophet to the Lord, he knows the power of God. He would know the history of God's miracles, of his strength, but still he thinks he can get away 
from God. He does everything he can, in fact, to escape the presence of the Lord, going so far as to pay his way away from him. And some theologians actually believe that Jonah might not have even, like, not gone so short as to just buy a ticket on board this ship. Some people believe that Jonah actually, like, paid for the entire trip. Like he bought the crew, he paid for all of the taxes. He, he did everything to make sure that this ship was going to take him away. But you see, there was no distance Jonah could run. There's no distance we can run to escape the love of God. I know this because I tried to do the same thing. I'm not that smart of a guy either. Uh, granted, I was a teenager when this happened, but I ran from God. I was baptized when I was 11, and within a couple of years, I had stopped going to church, and instead, I began pursuing the luxuries of this world. I began pursuing the sin of this world, the gratification that can be found in this world. And I came to the point of thinking that if I stepped in a church now, God would just strike me down. In fact, I think a lot of you may have felt that at some point in your life. Some of you might actually still be thinking that, and you're waiting for the lightning bolt to strike it's not true, but I did everything I could to stay away from the Lord. In fact, not only did I stay away, I ran as far as I could, hiding myself just like Jonah's trying to do in the world. But no matter how far I ran, God pursued. He didn't hurl a powerful wind like he did to Jonah. He hurled a powerful girl into my life who wound up bringing me back to the Lord. And it wasn't until years later that I realized how perfectly orchestrated my return to the Lord was, how perfectly orchestrated he would use it to then allow me to stand up here and preach this word that I have for you. And I think that there's a common misconception when it comes to the idea of love. A lot of us think, and it's not your fault if you think this, I think we just grow up thinking of it, that it's supposed to be 50-50, right? Like two people meeting halfway, compromising, working together to accomplish that 100% love, the true love that we read about in books and we see in movies or on TV. And I'm super guilty of this. So if this is you, like, don't worry, I'm in the same boat. I reach out to people, but I only go as far as I need to. Like, I will text someone to make that connection, to get coffee or hang out or whatever it is. And it's super interesting, I think, that we always like see people that we haven't seen in a long time. We're like, hey, we should definitely catch up sometime. But like, that's where we leave it, this very vague idea of like sometime. And then we don't have to worry about it anymore because then it's the ball's in their court. Like I did my part. I showed my love. Where's their love to me? And one of my favorite movies of all time is Hitch with Will Smith. And there's this scene in it where Will Smith, his character, he is teaching a guy how to have a first kiss with a girl. And he says, listen, you go 90% and then wait for the girl to come the other 10%. He says, don't go all the way. So you come 90% and then you just sit there. It could take all night. He doesn't care. It gets super awkward. It's fantastic. 90% and then you wait. And I believe this is a much more realistic look when it comes to our relationship with God. You see, don't get me wrong, uh, he is pursuing us. He is, he's coming 90%, like he is going above and beyond. And he, he's already done everything needed to have a relationship with him, right? Like there's nothing that we have to do. There's nothing we have to earn to have this relationship, but God can't come 100%. He comes 90 and then he waits because it's not one-sided, right? We still have a choice. We have free will. We get to choose if we want this relationship or not, but God is going above and beyond to reach us. He could have stopped 
after Jonah ran away, a lot of us would have stopped. Like if I wanted to hang out with somebody, I said, hey, let's hang out. And they just took off running. Like that's super weird to begin with, but I'm not gonna chase after them for the mile or so that's gonna take to be like, why'd you run away? Let's go get something. God goes above and beyond what is expected of normal human measures. And all he's saying is this, 10%, I'll keep chasing you. I'll keep loving you. I won't let you get too far away. I'm going to pursue you. And when you turn back, when you, when you come to him and you go that 10%, you wind up giving him 100% because it is the most perfect relationship that you can't even dream about, a relationship that, that relies not on the human love that can waver and get tired and it stops pursuing at some point because you yourself are getting tired, but no, God's love never wavers. It can't grow weary. It's never tired. It's always pursuing us. So let's see what happens to Jonah after God throws this violent storm at the boat. That's a weird way to pursue somebody. But verse five says this, fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. They did not sign up for this. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which one of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned and paused right here for just a second. This is huge, this point we'll skip over if we're not careful. Why did you do it? Some other translations in the Bible say, what have you done? And how many times do we mess up in our lives and hear that from people? How many times does Satan whisper that into our ears? Maybe you've made a mistake. I know we all have. Maybe it's been a bigger mistake than you would care to admit. And all you can hear is, look at what you've done. Why did you do that? You really screwed up this time. You can't fix this. You see, there's a storm going on in Jonah's life right now, a literal storm all around him. And God is using this storm to convict Jonah. The danger is this, Satan will use that same storm to try and condemn you. Why did you do it? Verse 11, and since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. And in this moment right here, Jonah let the condemnation overpower God's conviction. It doesn't say this, but maybe Jonah thought, I've messed up too big this time. I'm too far removed from God's presence. He couldn't possibly want me back. Now I'm useless. I've gone too far. But there's a spoiler alert for you guys. God's not done with Jonah. He's got three more chapters of really good stuff. And I promise you, God's not done with you. Instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. 
Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. The book of Jonah isn't about Jonah, it's about God's love. So what do we learn about God's love from Jonah that it's pursuing? And number two is this, God's love has purpose. God's love has purpose. Jonah right now was defeated. We're, we're one chapter into his book, a book that would eventually make it into the Bible, one of the best-selling books in the world. And, and he's already asking for men to kill him. See, Jonah in this time, he had lost sight of his purpose, but God still had purpose for him. God isn't done with him yet. And some of you today, I feel, have lost sight of your purpose Maybe you're here and you don't even know what your purpose is. You don't even know what that means. And I don't know everyone's purpose, but I do know a Christian's purpose. So if you're a Christian here today, I want to tell you your purpose because God has already told, us, told it to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task. God has given us this purpose of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his special appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jonah had a purpose, reconciling people to God. For Jonah's case in particular, specifically, it was the Assyrians that lived in Nineveh. And even the captain of the ship, he has to remind him of this. He has to wake him up. Jonah chapter one, verse six, it says, how can you sleep at a time like this? I look at the world around us today. I look at some of the Christians in the world today, especially a lot of American Christians that I'm guilty of this too, but I want to scream, how can we sleep at a time like this? Jonah is down in the hold of the ship. There is a storm threatening people's lives right around him. In church, a lot of us have hidden ourselves in the hold of our ships, trying to ignore the storm that is happening right outside of us. And it's my job to stand up here and say, how can we sleep at a time like this? He continues, the captain says, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. And this is so important. God doesn't just spare the ship's lives. They changes their eternity. Because of Jonah's disobedience, a crew that didn't even know God, they're off worshiping their own gods. They went from disbelief to offering a sacrifice and vowing to serve the one true God. You see, God's love has purpose. Even when faced with the disobedience of his children and we all disobey at some point, God accomplishes his purpose. 
because it's so much greater than us. It's so much bigger than us. God doesn't need us. He chooses to use us, but we can't accomplish it without the help of God. Do you understand that? Jonah could not have reconciled those crewmen to God without God first demonstrating his power to them in the storm. And I don't know, I don't want to trivialize or or make any less important the storms that are happening in your lives that will eventually happen in your lives, the storms that you have come out of. But I will say this, God is so much more powerful that the storm that is affecting your life can be overcome through his strength. And God might be using that storm not just to convict you. It might not even be a conviction. It might be to demonstrate his power to the people around you. The book of Jonah isn't about Jonah. In fact, Jonah is more of the antagonist in his own book than he is the protagonist. And how often is that true in my life where I feel like I'm more of the antagonist than I really am the protagonist in my own story. I'm like, God, come on, use me. But he's like, you're in the way, get out of it. The book of Jonah is a love story. The purpose of it, to reconcile people to God. What I'm going to do real fast is just summarize the next two chapters of Jonah. It's important to understand, but not necessarily, I don't want to read through it all because I'm already reading you guys a lot of scriptures today. Um, my challenge to you, though, is just to read the next, the two chapters, two middle chapters, verse chapter three, chapter uh, two. I should have said that backwards. Two and three are the only two chapters we're not going to read together. I challenge you this week to read them because it's absolutely incredible to read. But Jonah gets swallowed by the fish at the end of the first chapter, Right? And he, he spends a few nights, he gets swallowed and he starts praying to God from inside. And it's this beautiful prayer of forgiveness and a prayer of deliverance and a prayer of renewal. You see Jonah's praying all these things and he tells God that, hey, I'm going to fulfill my vows. The vows that Jonah had taken as a prophet to the Lord, the vows that we as Christians have taken, that's our purpose, right? And so Jonah spends three days and three nights in the fish and then God has the fish spit him out. And then chapter three happens and God says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, okay, I heard you this time. I'm going to obey. And understand this, um, specifically parents in the room. It took three days and three nights for Jonah to obey God. So the next time your kids are disobedient, like have them spend a couple nights in a fish. I don't know. (laughs) And some of you are thinking, my kid's room already smells like the belly of a fish. Like it's not working. He's immune to this. No, I digress. Okay, Uh, Jonah goes to Nineveh and he preaches against it. This is my favorite part. Literally his message is one sentence in the Bible. He goes to the crowds, he stands on the corners. He starts screaming at the masses. He says, in 40 days, God will destroy this city. That's what we get. The other minor prophets in the Bible, they have like an entire chapter. Like, and then when you talk about like the major prophets, like the prophets that had a lot of stuff to say, they have like 30 chapters of rebuke of the wicked and repentance for sinning. But Jonah's like, I don't even wanna be here. So, hey guys, 40 days and God's gonna destroy the city. I hope that's good enough, God. And God's like, no, just keep doing what you're doing. 40 days, that's all you get. Jonah is like the worst pastor. Like if you guys, the beginning of the message when I was like, boom, here you go. And then I leave. That's what Jonah did. He just stood on corners and was like, you're all gonna die anyway, 40 days. That's what you get, have fun with it. (laughs) This is incredible. As a pastor, it's challenging because like one sentence, what could I say in one sentence? The people respond. 
The entire city repents of their wickedness. The king hears what Jonah says. Like, I don't even know what that looks like. Somebody comes up like, hey, there's this madman screaming about 40 days. The king hears him, commands all the people and their animals to fast and repent in hopes that God would look on them with favor and spare them. And God does. He sees the change of the hearts of the Assyrians and he doesn't carry out the destruction that he threatened. Why? Because his love is pursuing not just Jonah, but the people of Nineveh. And he has a purpose, purpose that we're gonna hear about again here in a little bit, but we're gonna pick it up in chapter four. It says this, this change of plans, the fact that God did not destroy the entire city of Nineveh greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. What? So he complained to the Lord about it. That's a great idea. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry. Don't miss this. We read this a lot, but that's normally a declaration of love to God. This is Jonah being angry about how compassionate God is. I knew it. You're merciful. You're compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And don't miss this. Don't skip over this. It's funny to read, but Christians, this should cut us to our core. You see, Jonah was successful, right? In in my opinion, as a pastor, as a preacher's opinion, he was so successful. I would only hope to be that successful. His one sentence sermon saved an entire city, a city twice the size of Cheyenne, about 120,000 people. But Jonah saw it as a failure. Why? because Jonah had traded biblical success for worldly success. Because the world says, let your enemies be defeated. Let harm come on those who harm you or who you hate. But no, biblical success says, love your enemy as yourself. Pray for those who persecute you. Let all repent and be reconciled to the Lord. It's that purpose again. Guard yourselves, Christians, from trading biblical success for worldly success, because a lot of times they are two very opposing forces. Verse four, the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east. I like how he doesn't have a response. Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this. Jonah has a problem. (laughs) Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant. Though you did nothing to put it there, it came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? The book of Jonah isn't about Jonah. It's about God's love. So what do we learn about God's love from Jonah? It's pursuing. It has purpose. And number three, the last one is this. God's love is perfect. God's love is perfect. 
This isn't so much a standalone point as it is the summarization of everything that God is. See, his love is lacking in nothing. It is all encompassing. It pursues us. It has purpose for us and not because of us, but because of Jesus, God in the flesh, love made perfect for us. You see, even Jonah, he still didn't get it. I think the book ends so sharply there because if it had continued, Jonah would have said another stupid remark to God's thing. But in Jonah's defense, nobody got it. Nobody in the Old Testament understood what what God was trying to tell them. They needed to be shown what true love was. So God sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life on earth, to have the perfect love of the Father, to die the death we all deserve and to be sacrificed that we desperately needed to be reconciled to God. He was the original purpose. And maybe you've heard that before, that Jesus came to save us, to to die for us, but it's too hard to believe. And there's a lot of truths in the Bible that that we can know, but maybe we don't believe it quite yet. It's this weird struggle. And I remember so many times in my life where I'd be asking God, hey, just show me um, a miracle. Have a fish swallow me. Like do something to prove that you are real. Prove your love to me, God. And I was studying for this message. I found out the same people, the people in Jesus's day did the same thing. People who lived at the same time Jesus lived. And that should be a warning. Like the people that that were there when the son of God was performing miracles, displaying his strength, they still didn't get it. They still don't understand. But Matthew chapter 12 says this, one day some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. And Jesus has already been doing this. Like he's already doing tons of miraculous signs. But Jesus replies with this, only an evil adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. That hurts. But the only sign I will give them is this, the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the son of man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. They repented after a man who hated them said a pretty terrible sermon. They all repented. But now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. What's the purpose of the book of Jonah? It's a love story a love story that would be referenced by Jesus himself to foreshadow to the people what he would do. That out of his perfect love, he would die for us, spend three days in the earth for us and rise again to prove God's love and reconcile all people to him. Church, someone greater than Jonah is here in this place right now and his name is Jesus And his love has pursued you to this very moment in your life. And I pray, and I know that you can feel it. You feel it around you, the purpose that's being ignited in your heart. Please don't refuse to repent. So maybe you're here today and you want that chance, the chance to turn to God, repent and follow him. A God who so desperately wants you to be reconciled to him, that he's already gone 90%. He's saying, turn back to me. Just meet me right here. I'm already there. Just come to me. Every head bowed, every eye 
close. If that's you today, you want that chance, would you do me a favor? Would you pray this prayer with me? There's nothing special about this prayer. It's merely you talking to the Father's heart. Father in heaven, Lord, how far have I gone in my life? I've tried running. I've tried hiding. I've tried escaping. But your love, Lord, has pursued. And I'm tired of running. I'm tired of hiding. You've found me. And today I want to turn and come back to you. So, Father, please forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Ignite your perfect purpose in my heart. Thank you so much for your perfect love. And I'm going to do the best I can to love you back. Amen. If you're here today and you just prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something very courageous and very bold. If that was you and you just accepted Christ as your Savior, would you do me a favor? Would you just raise your hand and catch my eye? Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. That is the, the best decision and the hardest decision you will ever make. And if you're online and you also prayed that prayer, I'm so excited for you too. I just can't actually see you because you're in a computer. But we have some next steps that we would love to connect you guys with. Pastor Jeff has written a 21-day devotional to help you take your next steps in Christ. And if you're online, you can go to elementchurchwy.com. You can click on the next steps tab. And then there's a spiritual habits uh, button that you can click on that has these same tools for you as well. But we just want to celebrate with you. We want to help you take those next steps. So if you would do me a big favor, would you mark that on your connection card that you accepted Jesus as your savior? Would you take it out to our next steps while we have some volunteers who would love to celebrate with you and get you connected with those next steps. Just give you that 21 day devotional and help you with any questions you might have. And for the rest of us here today, those of us who already know Christ, I pray that this message has reignited the purpose that God placed in your heart that very first time you accepted him. The purpose of reconciling all people. You don't have to be up here like me. It can be anywhere you are. But you have a purpose and God's created you specifically for it. Thank you guys so much for letting me share this message with you. Let me pray for you. And then go ahead and remain seated. John has just a couple of closing words. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so undeserving of your love, but you pour it out on us over and over again. You, you pursue us though we run. You have purpose for us when we don't see it. And Lord, we can't understand it, but I believe it. I believe in my heart it is a perfect love that only you have. So Lord, would you just continue pouring that out on us? We're in desperate need of it. And this week, would you begin placing people in our lives, people who we can help reconcile to you, that we can help share your power with, maybe those who are in storms that need just to see your light. Lord, we're ready. And with your love, we wanna charge. Lord, be with us this week. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Thank you, guys. Amen.